We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Here's Paul's um, letter to the Philippian church in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. For me, he says, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. That's Paul speaking. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. How does the NLT put this verse? Verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Then he goes on to say, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. I've said over and over and over, if we are preaching Christ, our message or the diverse expressions of our message sound alike should sound alike. That's what Paul actually refers to in Ephesians 4 when he talks about in, in, in verse 12, um, for the equipping of the saints, you know, he that ascended, you know, what is it that he ascended, but he first descended to the lower piece of the earth and then he ascended and he ascended, he gave them gifts, you know, some apostles, some uh, uh, evangelists, some pastors, prophets and teachers. Um, uh, for, and it says in, in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, diaconos, diaconia service, for the edifying of the body of Christ, he says, 13, see the reason for the giving of those gifts, what we have now called fivefold ministry, as though this is all there is to ministry. 13, till we all come, he says, to the unity of the faith. How does the NLT put this, put this verse? Verse 13 in the NLT, Ephesians 4, 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. How does the message put this? Ephesians 4.13 in the message. Until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, Fully mature adults, that's of course metaphorically speaking, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. So until we come to the unity of the faith, and faith there is pistis in, with, with regards to or with emphasis to doctrine, until we come to the unity of doctrine and unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. So the New Testament believers, New Testament church expressions, are how we know that we are in line with God's desire for the church as birth through Christ's finished work is that we are all sounding alike. Is that we're preaching the same thing and that we're preaching the same thing again and again and again because Paul tells the Philippian church, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is necessary. For you is not tedious, but for you, it is a safeguard for your faith. That suggests that very possibly there was a letter that he had written to the Philippian church before the one that is on record in the canon of scripture. 
Because for him to tell the Philippian church, for me to write these things to you, he says, Philippians 3 and 1, for me to write these things to you, the same things to you, is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It would, of course, imply in the, the nomenclature of the text that Paul had written a similar letter to the Philippians containing similar content. And he says, I'm going to write the same thing to you again. It's not tedious, but for you, it is safe. So for some of you who are part of our local church, you might find that I'm saying some things tonight that are things I've said over and over and over again. But in this season, for you, it is safe. For me, it is not tedious. Because the gospel is not just what you are saved by. I've taught our people, you're not saved by the gospel to be sustained by another message. You are saved by the gospel to be sustained by the gospel. The gospel that you are saved by is the gospel that you are sustained by. So you hear the gospel to bring you into salvation and you hear the gospel to be sustained and to grow in the salvation that the gospel has brought you into. Tonight, I want to share with us on what I've tagged, what's your news? What's your news? We're in a season of such a diversity of voices. Have you noticed? Every kind of report is out there. People are saying all kinds of things. People are jostling for your attention. People are jostling for your sight. They are jostling for your hearing. They are jostling for your senses. And invariably, they are jostling for your money. There's all kinds of stuff out there. People are peddling stuff and people are profiting from what they are peddling. There's all kinds of conflicting voices on out there. Pandemic, epidemic, COVID-19, coronavirus, Kaduna virus, some guy, some baby girl or boy called it. Colonia drivers, some other girl <laughs> called it. Uh, Corolla virus, you know, another person called it. There's all kinds of, of stuff going on out there. There's pandemics, of course, there's deaths, which is unfortunate as a result or not of the direct uh, onslaught of this, of this famous pandemic, which for me is a big coward. It's not even something that should be taken as seriously as it's taken because it just capitalizes on what is already bad in somebody's life. So I don't like to pay attention to it because it just annoys me. Um, it's a very coward pandemic. It's not. It's not. We squash it as sons of God. Yeah. We live above it. We eat it for breakfast. Pandemics, deaths, and then all of a sudden, everybody is interested in eschatology, study of the end times, uh, apocalypse, movies that you watched before that you didn't think made any sense. Now you begin to think, ah, those movie guys are prophets. Oh, you know, they have revelation. They have revelation. Those movies, they were, they were, they were Nostradamusic in nature. Mm. Apocalypse, everybody now, end time. And we are now reading stuff about the end time, you know. And Jesus made it very clear that do not tell you, when they tell you, run and say, Jesus is there. He said, do not, do not believe them. Do not believe them. He made it very clear. So we have become majors in reading the signs and the seasons, you know. Then if anyone says to you, Matthew 24, 23, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. Now Jesus warning them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 25, see, I have told you beforehand. 
put verse 23 up in the NLT. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is. Jesus said, don't believe it. He said, I've told you beforehand. So all of a sudden, now there's all kinds of people who are, do you know how many times people are prophesied when the world will end? Do you know how many times? The Mormons are prophesied it. Pentecostals are prophesied it. Braham people are prophesied it. All kinds of people are prophesied it. Muslim clerics are prophesied it. The traditionalists are prophesied it. Men of God and pastors who read the times are prophesied it. The world is going to end. Do you know how many times the world has ended? Because even Jesus said, not even the Son. No, it's only the Father. And so now we are caught up in reading times and seasons and we're reading, reading signs and we're reading this and we're looking at that and we're reading and everything is about the end time. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon is not the message. Jesus is coming soon is a message you preach to believers. It's not a message you preach to unbelievers. And Jesus is coming soon as a message preached to believers is good news. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need. He was telling the Thessalonian church. He said, there's no even need for me to write it to you. Please put up, put up that verse in NLT. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. Oh, Lord Jesus, give me the message. So if this was the message, if this was a very, very crucial and important message, Paul would not have downplayed it the way as it or seemed to, to downplay it the way that he, he... He says, I don't think, friends, in the message, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. Because I'm very sure, as is consistent with other of Paul's letters, he was writing this letter to the Thessalonian church in a, as a response, as always, in most cases, to perhaps letters or messages they had sent to him with questions. Does that make sense? So him saying, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need to write to you. Why should I be worrying you with, with when the world is going to end, when Jesus is going to come? What was the time and season he was referring to? 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Keep going. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. See verse 18. See how he ends that description in verse 18. Therefore, he says... Comfort one another with these words. So the, the huh, how do I put this now? The byproduct of the message of the gospel of which rapture is. Yeah, the famous rapture that we preach and make our whole entire message. is just a byproduct or a fringe benefit of the salvation package. And even that when it is taught or when it is mentioned, it wasn't even so much as taught. There was no emphasis placed on it. When it was mentioned, it was mentioned as what? Comfort. Not as warning. It was mentioned as a comfort statement. Paul says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what then leads into chapter 5 verse 1. That says, therefore, the times and seasons that this thing I've just described. Does that make sense? In First Thessalonians 4 will happen. You don't even need me to warn you about it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord 
So comes as a thief in the night. Now, I've taught our guys in our local church how many times that we have used this thing to scare the church. He is coming like a thief in the night. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes. Brethren, I like to tell you, the Bible says, the Lord shall come like a thief in the night. It has been used to, to scare us a lot over the ages in churches. Brethren, prepare yourself. The Lord is coming as a thief in the night. Three, for when they say, somebody say they, when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Somebody say them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Somebody say they. If you're listening to me in your house, better say what I'm saying. Four, but you. Verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. For but you, brethren, Adelphos, are not in darkness so that this day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and, of, and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's the finalization of our salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Look at how. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The end of this matter is that whether we wake or sleep, whether we wake or sleep, whether we look at that physically, literally, or, or otherwise, we should, the end of the matter is we should live together with him. That's verse 10. See verse 11 again. He says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you're also doing. It's good news. So Jesus is coming soon. It's not the gospel. It's not the message. That's not what he sent us to preach. And that, that announcement that Jesus is coming soon is good news for the believer. For the unbeliever, the message is not Jesus is coming soon. We'll talk about that another day. And so there's all these conspiracy theories. There's so much news out there. Unfortunately, the church itself is now the seat of multiple conflicting news reports. I'm speaking on what I've titled, What's Your News? What news are you subscribing to? What news are you peddling? In the season. The church, I wrote here, we have left the message and we have allowed this season to steer us away into distractions. So this is a wake-up call to the church. We've allowed the season to steer us away from the... We're taking our eyes off the prize. The church was not established to react to happenings in the world. The church was not established to, okay, so something's happening in the world, let's, let's, let's react. We, we're, not, we're not reactionary. Our God is not reactionary. The church is not established to react to what happens in the world. At best, the church is established to dictate what happens in the world. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, as the writer says, but the earth has he given to the sons of men. 
Now, if we are born of incorruptible seed as through the word of God, then we are responsible for dictating what happens in the earth, at least in your own sphere of influence. Ephesians 3.10 makes that clear to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, the ecclesia, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose, verse 11, which he, God, accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the place of the church. We dictate, we manifest the manifold wisdom of God in his many faceted dimensions to principalities and powers. There's none that is exempt. At best, that's the place of the church. At worst, you live above what, what's happening in the world. So for you to be living above, for you to, oh man, Lord, help me, Jesus. For, for stuff to be happening in the world and, and it's not affecting you is the lowest level of your reality as a believer. Let me repeat that. For, for something to be happening and you are exempt, does that make sense? For something to be happening and it's not affecting you because you are above it is the lowest or is meant to be the lowest level of the reality on earth of a son of God in Christ. That's the lowest. Because the optimum level is that you are determining what happens. The, the, the optimum is that we are determining, we are dictating what happens in the supernatural and therefore the natural response to the supernatural. Because like I taught you, everything that happens in the natural is an outplay of what happens in the supernatural. Everything. So you are above what sickness, you are above disease, you are above, you know, violence, you are immune, you are exempted. That is the least a believer should operate in. That's the worst state of a believer. That's the worst state. That's the lowest state. That should be the lowest state of you and I, sons of God in Christ, that are sat with Christ eh? in heavenly places, far above, far above principalities and powers that a chapter later God now says the reason why he established the church is that to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God be made known by the church to the principalities and powers that you have been sat far above. These are the same principalities and powers that he spoiled in Colossians to know and made an open show of them, disarming them. Message say he marched them naked on the street. The very least that we can operate in is to be above what these guys are doing. But at best, dictate what happens in the world. That's the place of the church. Man, the noise is deafening. Jesus. The noise is crazy. Everybody is saying stuff. Everybody is peddling stuff. Every preacher is running into the season and, and we are preaching for the season. What happens when the season passes? Because this too shall pass. We can't focus on something that is temporal and leave eternal things to suffer. We can't focus on what is temporal. It's annoying me that I'm having to fix straight the mind of a believer away from this nonsense. But well, it's our job. We are under shepherds, no? We tend to the sheep. We correct your spiritual sense. We use the hook and draw you back when you're going astray. It's our job. But Paul tells them, he says, for me to There's no need. Kai. There's no need for me to talk to you about this, Ephesians 5.1. There's no need. There's no need. And people are getting distracted and people are getting conflicted. And people are getting lost. There's all kinds of, no especially now that Facebook is born again. Now, everybody is on Facebook. All kinds and colors and shapes and sizes of live streams. It becomes conflicting. You can barely scroll through a timeline now. Without seeing one person that is live or was live. Is live or was live. Is live or was live. Watch party, watch party. Watch party, watch party. 
I mean, I, know, I understand it's the season. There's nothing wrong with that. But it just amplifies the plethora of conflicting voices that are available out there. What's your news? What's your news? There's only one news that is constant for all ages. Isaiah 53 from verse 1. There's only one report. There's only one news that's always in the news. It's breaking news. It's fresh news. Hot of the press and always trending. Breaking news, hot news, fresh news, hot of the press and always trending. It should be the loudest thing we're talking about. Yes, sir. Isaiah 53, it starts interestingly with a question that we have twisted. The question is, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Christians preach from this thing and says, whose report will you believe? Do you realize that that statement is never in scripture? It's a song. It's a Ron Kenoli song. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. For his report says, I am healed. His report says, I am freed. His report. Yeah, it's good. It's a song. And the closest thing you will find to a report, aside Isaiah 53, is Numbers 13, where uh, Moses told the tribes of Israel to select one person each to go and spy the land. And he came back and he says that 10 people had a bad report or gave a bad report. That's the closest you'll find to this allusion. Whose report do you believe? Because believers are not about believing a report as much as it is about you peddling the report. You are the newscaster. You're not the one who's receiving the news from somebody else about what to believe. You're the one who should be carrying the news that they should believe. You're not waiting for them to feed you news. What kind of son of God are you? That you're now waiting for somebody else to inform you about the state of affairs in the earth. No. You are the one that is containing. You are the earthing vessel that contains the treasure. So the excellency might be of God and not of yourself. You're not waiting for somebody to tell you news. For you to determine whether or not to believe which report. No. You're the one that is carrying the report. Or should be carrying the report. What's your news? I ask again. So as I asked in 53, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The question is, what was Isaiah referring to as the report? How does the NLT or, or message put this verse? In the NLT, Isaiah 53 and 1. Isaiah 53 1. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Put the NLT up. It's getting exciting. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? <laughs> I said there's only one report to believe. There's only one news. It's breaking news. It's hot news. It's fresh off the oven. It's hot off the press. And it's always trending. And as a son of God, there should be only one news on your mouth or your mouth should stay shut in this season. Beyond the season. Before the season. After the season, for all ages, there should be one news that you're casting. It's either you're speaking that news or keep your mouth shut. Hold your peace. What? Uh, amplified. Who has believed, confidently trusted in, relied on, and adhered to our message? It puts in, in parenthesis something that I will 
omit at the moment so I don't give away what I'm about to say until I get there. The question now becomes, what is the report? When we say, whose report do you believe? The report is not that of healing or, or prosperity or, or car that is coming at the end of the year or visa that is going to come. And that, you know, we have interpreted the report of the Lord to mean that. And the question was never in scripture, whose report will you believe? The question is, who is believing our report? I, I don't know if you can tell the difference. There's a difference between somebody selling something to you and you determining whether or not the thing is real or fake, whether to buy it or not. Yeah. And for you to be the one that is the sole distributor of a particular item that you are selling, mm. that people are, are now buying or not. There's a difference between being a news recipient and a newscaster. News recipient is who, whose report will you believe? It, it suggests that you are sitting down and you're waiting for something to come from outside of you to inform you. For you to then determine whether or not you receive it or believe it. That's not the place of the believer. The place of the believer is that you, you are the one that is armed with an eternal report. You're the one that is armed with an eternal news that's never out of trend. That is constant and relevant for all ages in all situations. That's what the writer says there, Isaiah. Who has believed what we are saying? Who has believed what we have? So the question, the emphasis was not us. Whose report will you believe places the emphasis on you? Who has believed our report places the emphasis on the people that are hearing what we have to say? Because what we have to say is not in question. What is this report? Because believers are not believers of report. This particular report is not whose report will you believe. The, the question is, what report is in your mouth as a believer? Because we are bearers of this report. We are carriers of this report. We are propagandists of this report. We are peddlers of this report. We are evangelists of this report. So it's not whose report do you believe. It's what report is on your mouth that you are saying for them to believe. No, we are believers now. If we are believers, it means we believed a particular news. Is that not so? We believed a particular report. The question now is, who has believed? Who is hearing our report? The emphasis was on them. The emphasis was not, their believer, what do you believe? No, 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 no. We believe one report and that report is constant for all ages. It's now up to us to ensure that that report is constantly released from our mouths. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. Romans 10, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. And this is quoting the scripture in the Old Testament. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word is Near you, this is quoting Deuteronomy 30 and 14. Let's go from 11 for context. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven, the commandment, that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. This commandment is beyond the sea, verse 13, that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. 14, but the word... Somebody say the word. Is very near you in your mouth and in your heart. 
that you may do it. Now, this is the scripture that Moses thought was referring to the law as per commandment. That it takes Paul in Romans 10. Because you read Deuteronomy 30 by itself, and you come and preach that Paul was that Moses was talking about the law. How does he start it? He says, for this commandment, Romans, um, uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, for this commandment, when you hear commandment, what comes to mind? The law. The Ten commandments and the other 613 that were added to it. For this commandment, I command you today. It's not mysterious for you, nor is it far off, this commandment. It is not in heaven. It's not in the sea. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And who was Moses speaking about here? Christ. Clearly, because John, Jesus in John chapter 5 now says, you know what, on that day, oh, John chapter 5, you know, in 39, he says, you search the scriptures, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. You think you have eternal life, but these, these scriptures are they which testify of me. How can you believe, John 5, 44, this is Jesus speaking, red letters, if you have a King James Bible. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses. By saying Moses, not Moses the person, but Moses the representation of the law. Does that make sense? The Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, those are the cardinal scriptures that the Jews and religious people hold dear. Those are the, the scriptures that contain the bulk of the law, the commandment. And Paul and, and Jesus says in John 5, in John 4, um, John 5, 45, he says, do not think me, I shall accuse you. There's one who will accuse you, Moses, in whom you trust. 46, this will shock somebody tonight. Moses, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, Moses, wrote about me. 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? <laughs> oh boy. So, so, so the starting point for even believing Jesus is to believe the law. Because if you believe the law, it sets you up to begin to see. When the, when the veil is taken away, 2 Corinthians 3, you begin to see Christ written in the pages of Moses. Now, it takes, I showed you Deuteronomy 30. Let's go back to Romans 10. In Romans 10, now Paul is now speaking. Don't forget, I've taught guys in a local church. When Paul wrote, Paul understood the gospel of grace from reading the Old Testament. What is called scriptures, when you look at the Bible, for the most part, was Genesis to Malachi. It took a long time for the rest of the writings of the apostles to begin to be considered as scripture. But when this guy says, so when Paul told Timothy, he says, I, I, I thank God that from when you were a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. What was Paul referring to as the holy scriptures? Genesis to Malachi, the old Testament, 2 Timothy 3 and 15, Paul says, and that from childhood, 
You have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, when Paul was writing to Timothy, duh, there was no second Timothy. Come on. Amen. 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 When Paul was writing to the Philippians, there was no Philippians as a book. When Paul was writing to Galatia, there was no book called Galatia. So when Paul is writing to Timothy, there was no New Testament. And Paul says to Timothy, and that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul was telling Timothy, you can read the Old Testament and see Jesus and come into salvation. So even the Old Testament, the news in the Old Testament, however or how be it concealed, was Christ. Was Christ. He's, he's been the trending news. Christ is everything God has been trying to tell man for all ages. Christ is everything God has been trying to tell man for all ages. Everything God has ever said is to put Christ on display. He's the news. Not a uh, David key Goliath with 35 stones. Noah built the ark and floated and carried the animals two by two. Saw seven by seven. Go and read. He carried them in twos. Carried them. If he carried them in twos, then after he did sacrifice, it means that some animals would have been extinct. Some animals would have been extinct because by the time he gave out the two goats for sacrifice or a male goat without a female goat, there'll be no goat anymore. Genesis chapter 7. Let me just throw some small salt in people's theology. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you how many? Seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female. And then two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Verse 3. Also, seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Seven each, male and female, male and female, male and female, male and female of each species. It's not when you go and read Peter that you now start to understand that, that this was a type of baptism. Yeah. So everything God has been trying to, to speak is to show you Christ. To miss Christ is to miss everything God ever said. Yes. Whatever it is you are reading, whatever it is you, you have knowledge in, to miss Christ from the pages of the text is to miss everything God ever intended to show man. That's why we are still today. Today, New Testament believers are still quoting, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has he in, in today's age. He's a report. He is a report. So this is what Paul is now saying in Romans 10 and verse 8. What does he say? Quoting Deuteronomy 30, quoting Moses. What does he say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. In brackets, see what Paul now says. That is the word of faith which we preach. And what is the word of faith? Because there's a colon there in verse 8. Verse 9, the word of faith is that if you confess with your mouth, who? The Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Go back to verse, verse 9, go back to the beginning of verse 9. 
what is the word of faith which we preach? That if you confess with your mouth, who? The Lord Jesus. So who is the word of faith? The Lord Jesus. Go back to verse 8. Paul says that it is written, if what does it say? Quoting Deuteronomy 30, 14. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. He then explains, he then explains that word that the writer would have thought was the commandment that, he, that he, an Old Testament religious preacher will say is the law. And he says that is the word of faith which we preach. So when Moses said the word is near you, what was Moses saying, whether he knew or not? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because Paul explains that the word is the word of faith which we preach. That's the news. That's the trend. That's the trend. What's your news? Isaiah 51. Who has believed our report? It's our report. The report belongs to us. What is the report? Samash extracted verse 4 from that. But let's go back to Isaiah to, to understand the report that was talked about there and how it is not the report of you are believing God for a car. To understand the report in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, we have to go back a little bit. Let's go back to, to Isaiah 52. Ah, don't let chapters and verses destroy your reading of God's word. They have a way of making you not flow in the fullness of an understanding that is going on. Always try and read them in, 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 in bunches or bulks of thought as opposed to just chapter and verse. So let's go back to Isaiah 52, 12. See this carefully. Isaiah is speaking. So you can understand the report he's referring to in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report, okay? And unto whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'm running that, debunking the popular notion of whose report would you believe? And I said that you're supposed to be the newscaster, the news carrier, the news peddler, not the one who is the news recipient that you're not sure what you're hearing and whether or not you should believe what you're hearing. Now, let's establish what this report is. To understand Isaiah 53 and verse 1, we have to go back to Isaiah 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. My servant with capital S. If you're watching, if you're reading a New King James Bible. My servant shall deal prudently. He, my servant, shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Isaiah 52. You see why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. That since you were a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. How did Paul see Jesus saving? Isaiah, David, Moses, Habakkuk. Joel, Ezekiel, Nahum. You read all of that and all you see is a woman with a widow and he built a house for the prophet. You to build a house for the prophet. You missed everything God is about if you miss Christ. Hear Isaiah. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Verse 14. Just as many were astonished as you, so his visage, his appearance was marred more than any man. This is how Isaiah saw Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus on the cross seen before he manifested in the flesh to die. That's why people could afford in, in Hebrews 11, to be able to believe the promise even though they didn't receive it. But they received it in his promissory sense. They saw it. 
They saw it. That's why they refused to settle. Abraham refused to dwell in cities. His eyes were set on a city whose builder and founder is God. He knew that there was no, te- no city he could build that would give him the fulfillment of the city whose builder and founder is God. And who is that city? Christ, the destination of the believer. Christ, the house of God in which I am an oikodo. Ah, his visage was marred. Malokoso pradaba, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. This is Isaiah 52. This is how Isaiah 52 ends. So it is this that leads us into Isaiah 53 verse 1. So you understand the report. Let's even go even further. 10 chapters backward to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. I will go from verse 1. What's your news? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect. My elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard on the street. There's no one record of Jesus crying when he was being flogged. Or crying when he was being crucified. Or begging and saying, this is too strong for me. He took it. He took it, surely. So you understand why in 11 chapters later, Isaiah 53 says, surely he has borne our sorrows nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Three, a bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Five, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it and the people and the spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you, capital U, capital Y. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will give you, capital Y, and give you, capital Y, a covenant. I will give you, look at this, look at this. I will keep you. And I will give you as a covenant to the people. I, God, will give you as a covenant. The person the Lord is speaking of, obviously, Christ, Isaiah 42. God says, I will preserve that person. And I'm offering that person as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. Seven, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I, give to, to, will, I, will I not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Nine, behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Can you see what the reports Isaiah was referring to about, or who the report was about and Isaiah goes on and on speaking about this report 
goes back into 53. By whose stripes I'm healed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Goes on right up to Isaiah 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. To preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. So if again you quote this scripture and you don't see who it was about, you only see yourself inside without seeing through whom it will come about, you missed it. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. He shall rebuild the old ruins, he shall raise up the formal desolations, he shall repair. It goes on, Isaiah 61, this is the report. Luke, come to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Then Jesus returned, Jesus, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Go on, being glorified, being worshipped though. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. Can you imagine going to where he, was being, where he had been brought up? As carpenter's boy. Went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. See verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Are you seeing the report? And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Basically, let me help you. He found Isaiah 61 verse 1. In the days where he did not have chapter and verse. And he said, this is 18 now of Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to declare, go on, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. See verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to tell them, verse 21, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah saw Jesus clearly and prophesied him. And believed the report that he received of Jesus before even Jesus came. Christians are here. Arguing Christocentric or not Christocentric. After that Jesus has come and died and resurrected. And it is a proven fact. We are still struggling to believe and to focus on his report. People who did not see him. People who never met him in the flesh. People saw him clearly. And from what they saw prophetically. They believed. Isaiah lived his life believing that his sins were forgiven. <laughs> because he saw the one who was coming to forgive sin. David lived his life knowing that his sin was forgiven. David, 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 David is the one that, that Paul comes to quote in Romans that says David speaks of the blessedness in this way. Blessed is the one that the Lord will not impute iniquity to. 
David, David, saw David lived his life knowing clearly that you know what? I've seen he who forgets, who forgives sins. I've seen he who does not impute sin to us. Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as counted for righteousness. Six, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. He now quotes Psalm 32, verse 1. This is David speaking. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Two, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity in the days of the law. Paul comes and again unpacks David in Romans chapter 4. That's the report. That's the news. Christ is the news. Christ is the news. Christ is the news. He's the report. He's our report. If we are speaking, is this news that's on our lips. The, the world does not need believers to let them know what the press is letting them know. The church does not need pastors to inform them what the press is doing a better job informing them. We need to keep our eyes on the news. What's the news? What's your news? Not just what, what report have you believed. No, it's a question of who has believed your report in this season where everything is falling apart. This is when your report begins to shine. This is when you begin to loud your report. This is where you begin to propagate your news. Let them know that there's something greater and better. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.